Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, good morning, Covenant family. Good to see all of you here. And if you're watching from home, my name's Joel. I'm one of the pastors here. I greet you in the name of Jesus. Thanks so much for, for joining us. And for those of you in the building, you may be wondering why between me and you kind of looks like a construction zone. Has that, has that entered your mind? So let me tell you what happened. We have, and praise the Lord for his continued blessings that we continue to see people come to know the Lord. So we have a baptism service coming up at our 11 o'clock service, and I'm so excited about that. But I came in this morning, and I recognized the baptistry was a little low, not because our facility staff had fallen down on the job, but because it's got a little bit of a leak in it, and there's a little bubbly sound that would really annoy you if you're in the building. And so I turned the water on. And then I went backstage and I hung up my baptism clothes and I talked for a few moments to our, our tech folks to see how they're doing and uh, spent a little time talking with the folks on the stage. And then I went up to my office and maybe an hour later, my wife comes up and she says, hey, there's something going on downstairs. It's kind of big, but it's being handled. And I went, what? And she said, well, first off, you did it. Okay. So... Would you help me thank our staff and our volunteers who rallied so you're not sitting in a big puddle this morning because the lead pastor left the water on. So for those of you watching from home, this is what you miss, all right? I mean, you just never know what's going to go on from here Sunday to Sunday or, or what kind of shenanigans are going to happen and, and whether or not even the leader has something to do with it. Let me invite you to pull out your phones and share uh, this message this morning. I think you're going to find some great encouragement. I hope that this series has been encouraging to you. I've certainly been encouraged by the emails and, and, and the influx of messages that we've received, just thanking God for what he's saying to them through this, what is certainly the most powerful and well-known poem in all of Scripture, and perhaps one of the most powerful and well-known poems in the world, the 23rd Psalm. And so in the midst of all the encouragement and the challenge and, and even the way in which people's lives and perspective have perhaps changed, we're going to end the day on a victorious note, uh, a victorious peace. We've already walked through the green pastures and the still waters. We've seen that God provides refreshment. Uh, we've seen it all capped off with, he's my shepherd, I shall not want. I can live a life that no matter what my state in life, um, I, I can be satisfied. I can live at peace. I can live with a tranquil heart. Even when the world around me is coming apart, even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when enemies surround me and I'm never promised that any of that adversity is ever going to be taken away. And today we end on a, a powerful, powerful note, but it's a challenge to get to that victory. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. More than 20 years ago, there was a movie that I, I would not recommend because of some of the content, but I think the theme of that film probably is a good object lesson for us. It hit theaters in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was called Final Destination. And you may have seen it. If you have, you know the, the plot involves a number of high school students. They're going on their senior trip to Europe. And long story short, there's a disturbance on the aircraft. And this is pre-9-11, so they, you know, at least they didn't get arrested. But they are kicked off the plane, uh, and then the plane takes off, and just as it gets up to maybe around three, 4,000 feet, it explodes in midair. 
And so they're all thankful, but they're freaked out at the same time, like many of us who are normal would be. But the rest of the film follows each of these teens as death catches up with them. And, and death is seen in, in this sort of film as, as being personified, right? I didn't get you, but I was supposed to have you. So eventually, it's gonna, what goes around is going to come around. And I didn't get you on that exploding aircraft, but I'm going to get you through something else. And, and so what you see is with, with increasing frequency and, and levels of anxiety, all, all of these students, they start getting really anxious as the film progresses because this one dies, and then this one dies, and then this one dies. And then they start trying to control their future and and you see each one of them lose that contest violently and then the anxiety goes up again and the worry goes up again and the stress goes up again until it reaches a climax I thought about that film when I was putting this message together because our lives are not usually that dramatic some of us may have had brushes with death but we rarely go through this sort of daily or weekly unless you've perhaps been in a theater of operation in the military, you've, you've probably never lived in a situation where your life has always been at risk every single day. Doesn't involve a constant flirtation with your own mortality. But what I have uh, noticed is that there's a lot of folks that do go around with that same level of anxiety, as if life depends on almost anything that, that gets you upset. And, and you're worried. You're worried about your future. You're worried about your family's future. And oftentimes that worry and that anxiety comes with a desire to control that future. Which, in the one hand, is understandable because we're human beings and we want good for ourselves and we want good for our loved ones. On, on the other hand, there's an unhealthy side of that control factor that when we say we're trying to control our future, that's another way of saying we're trying to be God. And you can never live at peace when you're trying to sit on a throne where only God belongs. And so that, that struggle, and even, even sometimes the outward panic with some of the things that, that, that attack us and, and come at us in our lives, they don't seem much less frenetic than that bunch of teens in that film several years ago, trying to escape death. And we've been learning over the past seven to eight weeks, God does not intend for his people to live that way. His desire is not for you to be running around trying to control everything, filled with anxiety and worry and angst and all of these other things that we've all been tempted with, especially over the last 18 months. And so as we conclude this series and look forward to another season where so many of you are going to be tempted to panic and get frenetic and be filled with angst and worry, and Christmas season, you ready for that? For some of you, you're like, yeah, thanks for reminding me. Yeah, that's coming. How are you going to handle that? Here's what we're going to learn from this final verse. You may not always get what you want. Things might not always work out the way you prefer. You may, not, you, may, you may have to go through some dark valleys. You may have to do some things that God calls you to do in the face of enemies that oppose you and difficulties that surround you that he's just simply not going to remove. Here's the big point, the big idea. It's worth it. It's worth it. And it's worth it because the Lord, who is our shepherd, holds our future in his hand. So here's what I want you to do right now by just by way of introduction. I want you to close your eyes. Don't worry. Nobody's going for your wallet. Just close your eyes. <clears throat> I've made sure all of our ushers, even the shady ones, are way in the back. So you're good. All right. Answer this question. Get in your mind's eye something that concerns you the most at this moment. What's at the top of that list? Just think about that. What are you, what are you concerned about? What, what is that thing in the future that, that's keeping you up at night? 
What are you trying to control right now? What's that thing that keeps stealing your peace of mind? Okay, you got it? All right, now with your eyes still shut, I want you to let these words sink deeply into your soul and overshadow that thing. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, you can open your eyes now. You know what he's saying? In this life and in the next one, peace is mine. All the stuff may not work out the way I want it to work out, but peace is mine. And I'm going to tell you this morning, that promise can be yours as well. And that kind of life is a victorious life. See, living in victory doesn't mean you always get your way. Because always getting your way means you've got to control something and you've got to handle the outcome in such a way that it always does end up your way. And if you're always having to manage crises so that things turn out your way, you know what you will never have? Peace. You won't ever have it. Wouldn't you rather have peace? Wouldn't you rather have a settled soul? And so in, in the midst of our temptation to try to clamor for something, God's offering us something better. If you'll just hand this over to me, Goodness and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life. But in order to believe that, you've got to see a truth that is anchored here, not in your circumstances or mine, but in the very character of God. So, so you've got to believe, number one, you've got to be a monotheist. You've got to believe there's one and only one God. You need to be a Christian, believing that, which means another way of saying that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, you believe this is a benevolent God. This God loves you, and he has already demonstrated in history to the extent to which he loves you. And if you believe those things, then there are certain things that Scripture reveals about God's character that can bring you that kind of victorious peace. And there are three of those in this text that I want us to, to see this morning. They're going to give you confidence. Confidence that this promise is true. Number one is the shepherd's favor toward his people. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall Follow me. Now, that's a bold statement. I mean bold. You may Think about how David is saying this, the context in which he has said this. Even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even as enemies surround me, God, God didn't take the adversity out of my life. He didn't remove adversaries from my life. So those of you that every time there's adversity or some kind of conflict, and you're, you're the conflict avoidant person, so you're always running from stuff. Running from family stuff, running from churches, running from your employer to another one, whatever. I, I don't want to, I don't David says, even in the midst of all of that, God's goodness follows me to all of those places. No matter what he's facing, he has a bold assurance that he still has the blessing of God. Now, how many of us can live like that? Are you able to talk about God's goodness when adversity surrounds you? All right, now, and, and I can... I can ask that question knowing that there's actually a significant part of our church family that can do that. So, so you may not even learn so much from me as you can from the examples of some folks that are sitting right close to you right now because I have heard their stories. And you have taught your pastor. Sickness ravages your body. Death takes a loved one, a child rebels, someone hurts you, and you go through that long, painful process of reconciliation, and I have heard you say in the middle of it, God is good. He's good. And then I walk away from that going, hey, Lord, I'm a little intimidated here. I'm supposed to be their pastor. 
Why are they teaching me what this is all about? These are folks living in a victorious peace that is not indexed to what's going on around them or in the case of sickness, even what's happening within them. They praise him. These are people that praise him. This is the kind of person that you and I can be. The kind of person David was. They praise him when they encounter situations that make them feel as helpless and vulnerable as all of us really are. They praise him when their bodies break down and stop working. They praise him when the financial strain in their home means that there's too much month at the end of the money. They praise him when their own children question whether their God is the God of their parents. They praise him when the company is about to let them go. Because like David, they walk in this reality, not the one that surrounds them, but the one that tells them the goodness of my shepherd and the mercy of my shepherd are enough. Whatever's going on. So what do these words mean? Because, I mean, if if we're going to take confidence in this, we've got to know, what does this mean? Well, goodness is simply a word that describes, it's a reference to satisfaction. God satisfies me. He's a merciful God. That talks about his compassion toward me. He, He takes care of me. He takes pity on me. He guides me in in ways I cannot guide myself because he's a good God. He's always going to give me what is best for me. And because he is a merciful God, he will always keep me from the worst for me. It could always be worse is another way of saying that. In fact, Philip Keller, who in 1970 wrote what I think to this day is possibly still the best devotional on this psalm, reflects on verse 6 in this way. This to me is the supreme portrait of my shepherd. Continually there flows out to me his goodness and mercy, which, even though I do not deserve them, come unremittingly from their source of supply, his own great heart of love. And so that that really is what it boils down to. When I'm trying to control, when my anxiety is out of control, when my concern is out of control, and and when that's that's all due to the fact, listen, there's going to be anxiety in our lives. There's going to be concern in our lives. I'm not telling that you're always in sin to feel that way at all. But I am saying this, when the root of that is because you or I are trying to control something, something at root in our souls doesn't trust the heart of God. We don't trust what David says here, that he's good and that he's merciful. Incidentally, that's also true of sheep. You know, this, the, the whole poem is based on this agricultural metaphor. If, if livestock are not managed well, they are not controlled by someone who loves them and cares for them. They, sheep especially can be some of the most destructive of any livestock, but if they're cared for and managed well, they won't just flourish themselves. They'll actually benefit the land that they inhabit. They'll be a benefit to the soil. So that's another way of saying if there's no guidance from the shepherd The sheep will destroy themselves and everything around them. But if there's a shepherd who's acting favorably toward his sheep, goodness and mercy will follow that flock in the middle of everything. Think about the people who you know and that I know that live in this kind of peace, no matter what they face. I'm not talking about pie-in-the-sky, prosperity, gospel, neophytes that just want to deny the obvious around them. Okay, I'm not talking about somebody that has cancer that keeps declaring like an idiot that they don't have cancer. That's not Christianity. That's postmodernism. 
and it, you, it'll kill you dead. It really will. I'm talking about people who understand there's a higher disposition and a higher reality even when they face the one that's right in front of them. You know people like that? I do. I mean, no matter what kind of gut punch they take, God is good. No matter what they face, you walk away from those people with a profound sense of the blessing of God, don't you? You're like, how in the world? How in the world? We were in Houston several weeks ago, and our children called us to inform us that our refrigerator had died. And then I go sit with someone who's facing possibly a terminal illness, and they testify to the goodness of God, and they're actually reacting to this better than I did over a refrigerator? Please tell me I'm not the only person like that in here. All right, so the rest of you are liars. Come on, get them hands up. You ever felt that way? Yeah. You walk away from somebody, and you're like, wow, I, I need that. I need to be like those people. They swim in the blessedness of God. Goodness and mercy are not just a part of their lives. Goodness and mercy follow them through everything. Through the valley of the shadow of death, through confrontation right in the front of their adversaries, to the top of the mountain, to the bottom of the mountain, through every course and circumstance of their lives. And what was true of David's experience is also true of followers of Jesus. Look at these words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That sounds familiar now, doesn't it? There is a God who walked every step you took this morning before you got there. There is a God who, before the earth was set on its foundation, walked and was familiar with and designed out the path that you are walking now. And there is a God that loves you, is concerned about you, cares for you, and you are his project. And that love for you means two things. Number one, he, he does love you just the way you are. And number two, he loves you too much to leave you that way, which is why he tends to you. And everything he brings about in your life is a result of his favor toward you, which on the other hand will make you favorable. You are his workmanship, God's goodness and God's mercy are proof of his favor. And, and so that's the first call. We've got to learn to walk in that favor. Understand, I am favored by God on the basis of the death and resurrection of Jesus. I have his favor. I mean, that, that is far better. Would you, ever, would you rather everything work out in this life and not have God's favor? See, we, we spend our lives looking at the wrong thing. I had an academic colleague of mine who said just last night, he said, you know, the whole world was created by and for the Lord Jesus, which frightens me when I think of how little regard the world, including many people who claim his name, have for him in their lives. He's at the center of everything, and he's yet at the margin of so many people's lives. And then we wonder, why is there such anxiety and worry we're not walking in that favor. You can't live in that peace if you don't walk in that favor. So you've got to recognize, I, mean, I am favored of God. It's, it, it's that question that Jesus asked, what shall it profit a man if he, if he gains the whole world? Loses his own soul. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? There's a reason that question follows the first one. What will you give in exchange for your soul? 
What would you rather have? Would you rather have all this lower level stuff in your own life work out or would you rather have the peace of God regardless of whether it works out? Having the latter starts with understanding I am favored by God on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection. And then we'll see the second thing, the shepherd's faithfulness to his promises. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Notice these words, all the days of my life. For the rest of the time, he allows me to live on this earth and beyond. God has promised to give me everything I need, and he has promised to do it for as long as I need. You know what just happened there? David just put an infinity marker on all of God's promises that were made earlier. So, so let's, let's, let's think back about all those promises with that infinity marker in view. He will provide green pastures and still waters for as long as I need it. He'll restore my soul and give me rest and refreshment for as long as I need it. He'll lead me through the darkest times of my life, including my own death, overshadowing me with his presence for as long as I need it. He will make every provision for me, even in the face of adversity, for as long as I need it. In other words, the Lord isn't just my shepherd. He will always be my shepherd. He will always be. And I know on the basis of his character and the content of his promises that he'll always be faithful. Always. Now, sometimes we read a promise like that and we, we naturally we want to ask this question, well, but what if I fail? What if I fail? It's a good question. Let's remember, as we seek to answer that question, who's writing this psalm? This is David. Okay, now he's heralded, he's lauded for many good things. He was also an adulterer and a murderer. David's past is checkered to say the least. David was not always faithful. He betrayed God's trust and the trust of those over whom he ruled as king. He took advantage of God's blessing and anointing for his own selfish and perverted purposes. And yet God had made a promise to David. There will always be someone from your line occupying the throne of Israel. And 3,000 years later, King Jesus still does and will forever occupy that throne. That's God's promise to David. You're like, but he was faithless. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And there were temporal and sometimes even severe consequences in this life for David, right? So when you, when you blow it big time, it doesn't mean there won't be consequences, okay? This is why we serve communion to prisoners. Sometimes there's consequences. Sometimes the level of sin is a certain amount, is at a level of which even at a societal level, there needs to be appropriate punishment for that. So we're not denying that. But what we are saying is what David is recognizing and what Paul would say later when in 2 Timothy 2 he applied this truth to all of us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. And here's the reason. This, will, this should, it's going to sting a little bit because it, what we want it to read because we're, we're us. It, you know, he remains faithful because you're just too important to him. He remains faithful for, because he just loves you so much and he just can't bear. He, which, which almost makes it sound like God's an enabler. 
No, that's not the rationale for this. He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. See, when God makes you a promise, he stakes his own character and reputation on the fulfillment of that promise, and he ain't going to let your crap get in the way of him doing what he promised he would do. Does that sting? Wait a minute, that doesn't make me as important and substantial and central in this paradigm as I wanted to be. Well, that's because we all have a little bit too much self-centeredness in us. But if you can get beyond that and see the basis for this promise, you see something that will absolutely set you free. He cannot deny himself. He will not be found faithless. And because of that, the goodness and the mercy that he promises and is providing will last for the rest of our lives. No matter how often you fail, Jesus will always be there for you. There's this really touching story about a Jewish family who were prisoners in a concentration camp during World War II. The father's name was Solomon, and he had two boys named Jacob and David. And Solomon came home from the camp one day, horrified to find that their son, their son Jacob was missing. Jacob was disabled. And if you know anything about that period in history, you know how the Nazis viewed the disabled. And he said, where is Jacob? And the older brother David said they took him to the ovens. And in a panic, he also noticed his wife was missing. And he looked back at David and he said, where's your mother? And he said, she went with him so he wouldn't be alone. Now, I cannot think of a more powerful picture of the faithfulness of God than that one. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never break a promise. And he will be all of those things until the very end. He has favor toward you. By his own character and righteousness, he's demonstrated that he keeps every promise. And because of that, you can trust the following. The shepherd's fulfillment of his plans. And those plans are succinctly described in the very last phrase of this poem. David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, now this word house, when we speak of the house of the Lord, we're, we're, typically, we're typically talking about the meeting place for a church. So this room, the, the basically 65,000 square feet under roof that we have here, we call that sometimes the house of the Lord. That's not entirely incorrect, um, although it's not a temple. It's not anything that's any more holy than any other building. It's holy right now. You know why? Because God's people are gathered here. Right. That, under the new covenant, is what, it, what, it makes, what makes it holy. And so, in, in one sense, David may have had something similar in mind when he spoke of the house of the Lord. But you also got to remember, he's been speaking this entire time from the perspective of a sheep. So the sheep's house is the green pastures and the still waters. The sheep's house is also the valley of the shadow of death. The house he speaks about here is not one of brick and mortar. The house is wherever God's people are. This is the house of the Lord right now because every single first day of the week, it becomes a rallying point for the gathering of God's people, which is why we stress the importance of gathering weekly for worship. 
But that doesn't mean this is the only place God shows up. And David says, this will be my reality forever. In fact, the Hebrew grammar could be translated this way. I will dwell in the house of the Lord for the length of days, day after day after day after day, with no end in sight. God will be present with me, and he will fulfill his plans in me. And guys, here's the truth. If the Lord is your shepherd, that's not just your future, that's your present. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. I think we read, rightfully so, we read this text so often at the graveside, there's something in our minds that leads us to think that's the only time that it's appropriate to understand. God is not merely with you in your death. He's not merely with you as you grieve the death of your loved ones. He's with you today. He's with you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He will be present with me. He will fulfill his plans in me. This doesn't, you don't have to wait till you get to heaven for this to start. David writes this poem on earth. He's not in heaven. He writes this poem surrounded by threats and enemies and all manner of things that seek to steal his peace. And his hope in this moment is not that those circumstances will change or that it'll be more favorable to him. His hope in this moment is a greater reality. It's a reality the author of Hebrews speaks about when he says in Hebrews 11 and verse 1 that faith is the, the substance of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. And David speaks into that. He goes, that's a reality that will surround me forever, which means there's a hope that will linger and that will last whatever happens to you. Live in the peace of that. Charles Allen wrote a book called Home Fires, and he tells a story in there about a little girl walking with her father late one night, and they looked up at the stars that were shining brightly. Have you ever done that? You just look up, and you're just captivated by this blanket of stars, or maybe a sunrise, right? I, some of you guys are hunters like me, and you've been in the woods a lot of mornings, and you just watch that sun come up, and the sky is dark, and then it's, it, it goes from like really black to like navy blue, and then almost immediately it goes to a pinkish red, and then comes the sun up over the horizon, and you're just there. You just, your, your mind is blown by how absolutely beautiful it is. It was one of those nights, and this little girl looked at her father and said, oh, daddy, if the wrong side of heaven looks this beautiful, what must the right side look like? That's what David's saying here, that the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord will always be my shepherd. I am content. I'm living at peace, whether I'm looking at this side of heaven or even later on when I'm looking at the other side of heaven. Here's the question. Do you believe that? Now, this isn't just about mental assent. This isn't just about, okay, I'm, I'm orthodox. I got every T crossed. I got every I dotted. Yeah, but yeah, but do you really, are you living in this? Are you able to see signs of God's grace in, in tough times like a beautiful starry night or a gorgeous sunset and be reminded, boy, the other side of heaven's even better than this. And that's where I'm destined to dwell. He will fulfill his plans in you. So you got to live in that peace. Years ago, a story came out about a little girl named Jenny standing in a checkout line with her mother, and she saw this string of plastic pearls. Now, I, I grew up in a time where you could go to this place called the Family Dollar, and for $5 or less, you could get a little cheap plastic toy, and it would last about 10 days. And my parents would take my brother and I when we were 
I don't know, 9, 10, 11 years old, up to that family doll, and it was, it was exciting. It was exciting. And this was one of those times. The checkout line had this little plastic string of pearls in the blister pack, $3. She did extra chores around the house. She did everything because mom was trying to teach her how to be a responsible person as well. Saved up all her money and over several weeks finally bought those pearls. And she was just so proud of those pearls. She wore them all the time. In fact, the only two times she ever took them off were times when her mother made, them take, made her take it off. When she got in the bathtub and when she went swimming because mom knew yeah, they're beautiful, and I know you're proud of them, but they're cheap, and you're going to have a green neck for a long time. Well, Jenny had a daddy, too, that was just wrapped around her finger. And one night, he walked in, as he had several nights, every other night before. He prays with her. They talk. He puts her in bed. And he looks at her, and he says, Sweetheart, do you love me? And she said, Yeah, Daddy, I love you. And he said, then give me your pearls. And just with a look of shock, this little girl was like, how in the world could this man, who, like she doesn't have the presence of mind to articulate it this way, but how could this man ask me for something that is so precious to me? How could it, Daddy, I love you, but I can't give you my pearls. And he patted her on the head, kissed her on the forehead. He said, that's all right. I love you. And he smiled and he walked out the door. The next night he did it again. Do you love me? Yeah, Daddy, I love you. Can I have your pearls? No, Daddy, I love you, but I, I, you can't have my pearls. Every single night for about 10 nights, patted her on the head, kissed her on the forehead, no coercion, no nothing except I love you. I guess it must have taken about that long for this little girl to realize he really means it. He's not trying to manipulate me. He's not trying to... He, he, he really means it. And so night 11, 12, something like that, daddy goes into the bedroom. He finds Jenny sitting cross-legged on her bed, almost heaving, head down. She's been crying. And he said, sweetheart, what's wrong? And she held up those little $3 plastic pearls. And she said, here, daddy, I love you. And every daddy of a daughter is not, I, I'm not crying, you're crying right now, okay? I, I get that. And this guy lost it too. He reaches out and he takes those pearls and simultaneously from behind his back, he brings out, with every successive generation, there are more and more women who have no idea what this blue box means. How many of you know what's in a blue box, what that means, where it came from, Right? And she opened it up, and what she found was the most beautiful set of genuine South Asian pearls. He was waiting on her. He wasn't manipulative. He was just waiting on her to give him the dime store crap so he could give her what he really wanted to give her. Your God is like that. What's the stuff that you're holding on to? See, this, this psalm has been about the same thing 
and, and for maybe your whole life, you've allowed your peace of mind to rest on something temporary. It's a relationship. It's how, it's how so many bad marriages get started. It's you're willing to settle, right? Because I got I to gotta be in one, or I got to have this, or I got to have that. A job, money, influence, position, whatever the circumstances are in your life, that's that one thing you're trying to control. And God, God's just waiting on you to give it to him. He's patient. He's not trying to manipulate you. He's waiting for you to give him the dime store stuff so that he can fling open the windows of heaven and give you something far more real. Would you stop trying to control what you really can't if you would admit it? And would you give all of that to me so I can give you something better? Peace. Tranquility. Even in the, in the midst of a world that is falling apart. What are you hanging on to that he's asking for? And maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, which means you're hanging on to pretty much everything. What could be more valuable to you than that? Than to have your sins forgiven, than, than to be assured of, of a place in heaven when you die? What, what is more important than your final destination? And you just, you just need to be reminded today, Jesus gave his life to give you the next one, to give you eternity in him. You'll have absolutely everything you need. Whatever he asks for, whatever he asks for today, give it to him. Watch what he gives you back. Watch what he gives you back. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we can trust your heart. We thank you that even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And Lord, we pray today that as, as this series finishes out, that you would give us the capacity. What a great time during the Christmas season when we're so tempted to be distracted from what it really means by the, all the frenetic coming and going and the to and fro and whether or not the wrapping paper matches or whatever else is going on in our minds right now, and to just live at peace because that's what you came to bring. And so, Father, help us to embody it, to live in it by trusting your heart and Lord, may the world know more of Jesus because of a group of people in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, who have made that commitment. I'm going to hand over the dime store stuff. I'm going to trust the heart of God to give me what is best. And I'm going to live at peace and say with David, goodness and mercy follows me now, and it will always follow me. Dwelling in your house forever, Father. May we live in that promise. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.